Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Marjane Fields with AZ Wealth Builders, and she's here to share how she's bought her first apartment complex this year, yes. this month. Um, and if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, broker owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the OfferFast Homes app, the only app you'll ever need for wholesaling, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. So please private message me if you ever have, if you ever have any need for uh, uh, for help with your business. And if you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave. Please give me some thumbs ups. And don't forget, I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. Uh, this is all it costs for you to listen to the show. If you get value today, please tell a friend, either by sharing this episode now, tagging a friend below, or telling them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And don't forget, this is a live so show. So Marjean is happy to answer any questions you guys have. Uh, when it comes to buying apartment complexes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so what initially got you into real estate? Well, initially we got into real estate because my, at the time, boyfriend and I were looking at renting a property mm -hmm. and my now business partner sat us down and explained how dumb we were being. So, <laughs> especially- being renters? Yes, well, he's a general contractor mm -hmm. and, um, it really just made a lot of sense for us to start flipping at the time. You know, we would buy the houses and we flip them, especially with getting everything at cost. It made a lot of sense. And she was right. We were being dumb. Right. So we got into real estate that way. I wanted to know all of the rules. So I did go out and I got licensed. I wanted to know exactly what boundaries were in place with real estate. I don't want to break any laws. So you're a licensed realtor. I am a licensed realtor. I, I don't really practice in the mm -hmm. single family space. I definitely love to refer those out. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to make sure that we were protected and that we knew exactly what we were doing. Right. So then we got into flipping. Okay, so you got into flipping. What got you into flipping? Uh, literally just that. We uh, we were sitting in a rental and, and had a, about a three-hour discussion with my now business partner. And at the time she was flipping, she's been an appraiser for 18 years. Mm -hmm. So we relied heavily on her to help us find the properties, especially the ones that we could add a lot of value to. And she would find us the properties. We would go in and rehab them at our cost, and she would sell them for us. Um, we did about $11 million buying and selling real estate, and it became very abundantly clear that we didn't start a business, we started a job. Right. My husband looked at me after about a year or so and said, look, I, I can't work physical labor 40 hours a week, and in addition to that, work 40 hours more in <laughs> physical labor on these flips, you need to find something else. Uh, that's preposterous, you just gotta work harder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so at that time, I called back my business partner and said, you know, we, we can't keep going down this line. Um, what else can we do? Just so happened there was a two-hour seminar the next day on multifamily, and she said, well, you know, we've been kind of looking in this space anyways because we added more people to our group. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go and really see if this is going to be a viable option for us? We went to the two-hour, went to the three-day, and we signed up with the group that we're a part of now really loved the, um, honestly, the numbers involved yeah. in multifamily. I like big zeros. <laughs> There's six people in our in our group, so we right. needed big zeros. And I really liked the idea of long-term passive income. You know, mm -hmm. you work really, really hard initially, and then it continues to pay you for years to come. Right. So you went to a two-hour seminar. Yeah. And then they sold you into a three-day workshop? They sold, yeah, you, we went two-hour seminar, and then they sold us into a three-day three workshop. And they sold you into? And then they sold us the training. Best okay. decision I ever made. You know, most people look at training and they say, oh, no, I don't want to. The way that we took approach is, look, 
we could go out there and we can make our own mistakes mm -hmm. or we can get a new base point and learn from other people's mistakes just like you do in college. Right. I paid the same amount for my college education as I did for my multifamily education mm -hmm. and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, it gave us a coach, it gave us a sponsor, it gave us all the things, all the pieces that we needed to fit to actually buy and move forward with multifamily. So it was a great decision. I would recommend education to anybody, everybody. Okay. Uh, is there a particular program that you would recommend someone jump into if they were interested in getting into apartments? I'm partial to RE Mentor. Mm -hmm. um, you can go on rementor.com. A lot of the big guys out there actually came from this particular organization. The guy that's been running it has been doing it for 20 years. He actually was given an honorary degree from Harvard for his educational program. Oh, wow. um, but the thing I liked the most is it's still a family-oriented um, company. So it's not this massive thing where they're just trying to suck all the money that they possibly can. Mm -hmm. These people that work there have worked with him for 20 years and really truly care about each one of those students. Um, the integrity of the, that particular company was really what got me into it. So. Very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so you said something there, sponsor. You want to share what sponsor means? Mm -hmm. So when you buy a multifamily building, um, the banks want a couple of things. They want to see net worth and they want to see a track record. They're not going to lend on anything unless they know for sure that they're not going to be taking it back. So a sponsor can provide one of those two things or both. Our sponsor works with another partner. He is the high net worth individual. And then our actual sponsor has the track record. He's been doing it since 2014. Okay. Anybody getting into the multifamily space, align yourself with the people that are smarter than you, have been doing it longer than you. You're going to make mistakes, don't be afraid of it. But if you can lean on these people who have that knowledge, have that experience, it's going to make life so much easier and it's going to make your investors more money. And how would you get in touch with a sponsor if you were looking to do that? Well, you need to reach out to certain people. So for instance, um, people like me that mm. have now owned, um, the bank's really looking for at least three properties of, of like kind. Um, so if you're looking to buy 50 units, you want to reach out to a person who owns multiple 50 unit properties. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to buy 400 units, you need to look for the person who owns multiple 400 units. So a person with experience yes. with three 100 unit complexes is not qualified in the bank size to buy a 400 unit Correct. complex. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it gets, you know, you know how the banks get. I love yeah. the banks. I do. But they, they're very conservative in their underwriting and they're trying to protect their investments as well. Yeah. And I understand that. So you really want to get yourself aligned with somebody. And it's not just that they have to own it. They have to be successful with it. That means no foreclosures. The bank's never really worried about them um, losing any money. The NOI is good. They need to be successful in that space first. Yeah. And so you said net worth and track record. So mm -hmm. net worth, what's, what are they looking for as far as net worth goes? What, are they, it, what do you need to be able to verify or prove? So you need to have proof of funds. So mm -hmm. if you're buying a million dollar property, your high net worth has to have at least a million dollars in liquid assets. Yeah. If you're buying a $10 million property, your high net worth needs to have at least $10 million in high net worth assets. And that really depends on the lender. So anybody that's looking to get in that space, I would encourage you to reach out to multiple lenders and find out exactly what their underwriters are looking for. So they need to be able to pay off the property if need be. If the, yeah, if the bank calls a loan due, they need to be able to pay off the property. For instance, if you're not running it the way the bank thinks you should, or if you hit below a certain occupancy, sometimes the banks will have that in their, in their lingo but they really want you to be able to pay it off if the you know what hits the fan. <laughs> wow, so any given moment, hey, by the way, we need you to pay off the loan. Yes, well, yes, technically. 
technically in multifamily, you're in default before you ever even sign the thing. Wow, that's crazy. It's just kind of how it works. So what were some of your early struggles getting into getting into this? Well, hmm, some of our early struggles, we must have, we walked six properties before we actually were able to close on our first one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge learning curve when it comes to multifamily and you can get really excited about a deal, really excited about the numbers and you go to the property and there's drug dealers hanging out on the corner selling drugs to little kids. Probably not the best property to buy. So it really was... I feel like that's a great, you know, <laughs> reason to lowball the home, the, the, the property owner. Yes. But in multifamily, opposed to single family, single family is kind of easy to change that reputation. Mm-hmm. In multifamily, because it's so large and it's surrounded by that community, it really does get a known for whatever. And if you are buying into a D property, that property is known as the drug central property. It's oh. known as this is where you know the prostitutes go to have their fun. So changing oh. that reputation, even though you could potentially make money off of it, changing that reputation can cost you years and years and years and if you have those d properties your tenants don't necessarily care about the property as much as you do so in the interim of trying to change that reputation you could be literally bleeding money so if you're a d property buyer you are only buying d properties you've got to have a solid plan on how you're going to make that thing functional and you've really got to find very specific lenders. We do not buy D property, so I can't give any advice on that. Yeah. Um, I don't. But you know how to identify that. one. I know how to identify <laughs> them. Oh yeah, they're pretty clear. Okay. Yeah. So, drug dealers. That was an interesting experience. What else? Uh, what were some of the other early struggles? <laughs> we had a property that we were looking at because we buy out of state. We look for emerging markets, and this one property in Missouri mm-hmm. um, that we were looking at. It was a great property. It was functioning really well. The numbers looked great. Right. The property manager was one of three in the entire area. And, you know, I understand that sometimes people don't pay, but when the property manager is telling me, well, her mom died, so she can't pay her rent. You know, I'm empathetic, I am, but at the same time, I've always paid my rent, Mm -hmm. even when things happen to me in my life, so I just couldn't quite understand that connection. Well, it was a very small town. They were one of three in the area, and they only existed because the other two were so bad. (laughs) <laughs> so they're the best <laughs> of the worst. Right, right. So even though we loved the property, we, we really did like the area, it just didn't make sense for a long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we're using other people's money, I'm always very careful about where I'm buying and what I'm buying. My job is to make sure that they are making money and that I'm protecting their money. And I just couldn't feel comfortable protecting them in that particular scenario. Okay. Any other struggles? Lots. Buying your first property, you're going to run into a million struggles. Do not hire long-winded attorneys. <laughs> because they the, charge by the hour? Oh, yeah, they charge by the hour. <laughs> that was a $5,000 learning curve there. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have struggles. At the end of the day, you just have to keep pushing forward. Um, and especially in your first property, you're stumbling along. You know, I always tell people, I'm, I'm not a stupid person. I have a lot of experience, professional experience. This was the first time in my life I really, truly felt dumb and was very <laughs> grateful for the people that I had surrounded myself with yeah. that are lifting me up saying, no, it's okay. This is normal. This is not. Do this. Adjust here. So I had my hand held the whole way, and, and I'm 
so incredibly grateful for that. So, I mean, obviously the differences or the challenges you're going to face flip, fixing and flipping houses is going to be different than the challenges you have mm-hmm. buying an apartment complex. But let's say you're someone's experience as flipping four or five houses at a time. How much harder is it to buy an apartment complex versus the challenges you have dealing with contractors, dealing with not appraisals, appraisals not coming in? Like, what are the stress levels? Just, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, the the struggle comes in is when you're new in the multifamily space or you're new in the flipping space. Yeah. Anytime you're new in anything, the struggle is 10,000 times harder, right? Yeah. So it's hard for me to compare and say, well, one was more than the other. When we were first starting with flipping, it was a little bit easier um, just because we had that background in construction. And, and again, I had a strong team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had more of a background in that myself. It's easier to understand the single family space. There's less legalities and, and SEC laws and attorneys and everybody that goes right, into right. it. So while it's more difficult, that's why you get paid more. Mm-hmm. So it's time versus reward, frustration versus reward. Yeah. All things being equal, I would still go with a multifamily because there, again, there's more zeros on that. And I, I can see as we progress, things are getting easier and easier and easier. And yeah. there's still more zeros attached to it. Right. So for the people that are afraid to get into anything, the biggest thing I would say is just just jump. Whether it's multifamily, whether it's single family, don't get stuck on how difficult is this going to be. Just know that you're capable, you're human. Humans are capable of the most amazing things if they yeah. put our minds to it. Absolutely. So if you put your mind to it, it doesn't matter which one's harder, just jump, just do it. And. Is there anything you do differently if you were starting over brand new today? I mean, I know you're still, like we were talking about earlier, you just jumped into March, so it's pretty amazing what you've accomplished in just eight months. Yeah. But if you were starting over today, what would you do differently? Not buy three at once. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my business partner will attest to that. I, I am fortunate. I have the most amazing business partner. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, she's been an appraiser for 18 years, and she just finds these properties. She finds things that nobody can find. I always tell people, you know, if there's a needle in a haystack and the needle's only this big, she will find it. Yeah. And that's a very good thing. And it also can be a very challenging thing when you're trying to raise money for three properties at once. And as we all know, a confused mind says no. So <laughs> I kept yeah. running into walls simply because they were confused. So if I were to do it over again, I would do one completely, stop, get another one on contra- contract, stop, get another one under contract, stop one at a time to just simplify the process just a little bit. Right. Um, but that's just not who we are. So <laughs> adapt and move on. And, <laughs> and we're going to get into that in a little bit. So uh, Fernando wants to know, where are you looking and purchasing the multifamily? Because you were talking about Memphis or Missouri, Texas. Like, wh- how are you? I mean, we find emerging properties. markets. Okay. So, so what's an emerging market? At emerging market, we look for job growth. We look for population. Um, we look for what is really not only job growth, but what are the actual economic drivers in that area? Mm-hmm. What is the population growth? You know, okay, so for instance, when everybody's talking about, you know, Amazon's going here, we look for where exactly is Amazon going? Mm-hmm. Because all of those one jobs, for every one job that is created, there's 10 jobs around it that are, right? Mm-hmm. So when there's 10 other jobs that are created around it, you need more housing. So when you need more housing, the pricing's kind of change. So we always look for that emerging market of, the housing is starting to rise, the job market's starting to rise, and yes, you can still find them in this market. People tell me all the time, well, there's no deals out there. Well, you're just not looking in the right spot. Find the emerging market. Yeah. The first one that we bought is in a town called Big Spring. Well, they just found oil out there. So it's been this little bedroom community that has been tucked away for years and years, 
as everything else around it starts to rise. And it just so happens that now they have oil in that area. And so they're seeing a huge influx of population growth. In addition to that, they have a change in um, uh, political change in like their mayors and, and um, those people. So because of they've had that change, they're now seeing a lot of building mm -hmm. and growth. So that would be a true emerging market, right? right? The politics have changed, the areas change, you're seeing the influx, and honestly talking to the millennials at Starbucks. Millennials at Starbucks are wonderful sources to find out exactly what's going on in that market. Yeah. And they're all telling me, you know, we've just seen a lot of growth. Millennials are coming here, the college is getting really busy. So it's, it's this hidden little community that now is seeing this explosive growth, like what Phoenix was three, four years ago. Right. Now this little community is seeing it, and that's exactly what we look for, whether it be in Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma. You can take those key things that you look for, and you can move them to any state anywhere um, and find exactly what you're looking for. And if it fits, it fits. If it doesn't, we move on. We don't try to force something to work. And I think uh, there was something else you, when we talked before was the, the Walmarts, the parking lots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're literally kicking people out of the Walmart parking lot. People are r rolling in with their RVs because there's nowhere to live. I told you, we have um, a property down there that has 1,600 square foot, three bedrooms. We're renting those for about $1,100 a month. The new build down the street that they just built has 900 square foot, three bedrooms, and they're renting it for $2,900 a month. That, my friend, is an emerging market. Yeah. They don't have enough, they simply don't have enough housing. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you go out there, the Motel 6, everybody knows the Motel 6 is about $50 a night, right? In Big Spring, it's 250 to 300 if you can find one available. It's crazy. It is insanity out there. So you started in March and said if you had to do it differently, you would just do one at a time instead of three. So it's still impressive, right? In just eight months, you've closed on one mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of two. Yes. So what do you attribute that to? Because it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, uh, Rod was on the show a few months ago or, uh, yeah, about a month or two ago. And it's crazy, right? To think of this idea is like, oh, I'm just gonna go buy an apartment complex, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I even had a couple people like reach out to me and say, man, that was a great show. And now I want to go do it. But you, I mean, just not too long ago, say I'm going to do it. And you're in the process of closing on your second and third one. What do you attribute that to? No excuses. Stop making excuses. Excuses don't make you money. Yeah. If you decide you're going to do something, do it. And at least follow it through to the very end. It may be the worst mistake you've ever made in your life, but <laughs> if you at least follow through, you can go and, and, and tell people, this is what I've done. And even if you want to pivot, let's say you buy an apartment complex and you hate it. You hate the experience. You want nothing to do with it. You And instead of doing that, you want to go and do IT. At least you can tell the people in IT that you're sharing your business with, hey, I've done this. Mm -hmm. I am already a success and now I'm doing this. The more that you do and the, the bigger tracker that, record that you have of things that seem impossible but are really not, the more people really do believe you and the more people will align with you and help you. But at the end of the day, I see so many people, I want to do this or I'm, I'm gonna do this next year or you know, I just have to do this in order to do this. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. We were still getting <laughs> educated. <laughs> Right. If you align yourself with the right people, people that are smarter than you, that have done it before, and trust that you are human and you are capable of amazing things because you're a human, not because of all your crap that you have in your baggage in your life, but because simply because you're a human and you are capable of amazing things, you can do it. Just go jump and just go do it. Yeah. Reach out, you know, talk to people. Reach out to me. Reach out to Rod Khalif. All these people, they all want to help.
Yeah. You know, that's another thing I love about multifamily is we all play really nicely in the sandbox. It's a team sport and we all recognize that. So we're willing to help other people that want to get started. You can do very small things to help someone else who's already successful and learn from them. You, you know, if you don't want to or you can't afford the education, just be helpful. Right. And Earn it through other measures. Day. Yes. Yes. But just do it. Just do it. do it. Get off the couch and do it. Nike had a great logo. Yeah, they do. <laughs> great slogan. Uh, okay, so one of the questions was, how do you determine uh, maximum allowable offer for apartments? That goes a lot into the underwriting. Um, we have an underwriting template that we follow, and it's all based on what we're willing to buy as far as cap rate. We actually have what's called the Holy Trinity. We're looking for a minimum of 7% cap rate, preferably at least 8 12% cash on cash return and at least 1.6 uh, DCR debt coverage ratio. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't hit those, it doesn't matter what the purchase price is. But if it does hit those, it kind of still doesn't matter what the price purchase price is as long as it hits those three things. And that's where multifamily is a little bit different than single family and single family. They're always looking for price. I want the discount. I want the discount, mm -hmm. right? I don't care what the price is as long as my NOI is making my investors money. So as long as those three things are hitting, yeah. it could be... 20 million, it could be 150 million. I don't care as long as those three Holy Trinity numbers are being hit. So, that so let's break down each one of those things for mm -hmm. those that aren't aware of what these means, right? Okay. So, cash on cash, mm -hmm. put 100,000 in, I'm going to get, was it 12%? 12. So, 12% of that back. Correct. Uh, net, uh, net operating income, was it? No, cap rate. Cap so, rate? cap rate for, so for you guys don't know is purchase price divided by net operating income. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, I don't even know what this means debt coverage ratio. How many times the property can pay for itself based on the income it produces? So in a course of a year? Um, really more like a month. Well, yeah, like a year. So when you break down the NOI, it's all based on the year. So mm. yes, it's based on the year. Your mortgage is X and your NOI is Y and Y needs to cover X at least 1.6 times. Okay. The banks require 1.2. Mm. We really require, we can go down to 1.4, but it really gets kind of iffy at that point. Again, everything we do is to protect our investors' money. So Absolutely. why would we push that? Yeah. You know, we, we want to make them money. <laughs> well, it, it's great though, right? Like, you know, this is a yes or a no, right? Yes. Based off this, the whole trinity. Yep. We can look at it and, and analyze the deal in 10 minutes and tell you right away if we're going to buy it or not. Yeah. Um, and then do you, is it possible to assign apartment complexes? It is possible. It gets a little tricky. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can do it. What's kind of happening in the market right now that's a little funky, though, is that a lot of the earnest monies are going hard. Mm -hmm. So if you're raising money for earnest money, you've got to kind of involve these people that are giving you that money to let them know, hey, this might be happening. We actually have a deal in Phoenix that we could assign to somebody. We're buying it for 88000 a door. It's worth one hundred and fifteen. We could go in and assign that. Um, but we couldn't have if we have an investor whose money is at risk. If they say no, then you kind of really can't do that unless you replace them. Right. So, but it is it is possible. Yes. Okay. Does it happen? Like, do you guys hear about it in your in your in your circles? It doesn't happen like it does in single family. Okay. Yeah, it's not nearly as common. Uh, so you were talking about other people's money, mm -hmm. and so I think it's important here to talk about how you get OPM. Raising private money is a whole set. We could go on and on about that for yeah. a whole hour, Steve. You know that, right? <laughs> well, we got we got 37 more minutes. The biggest thing that I would say to people in raising other people's money is people only buy uh, from people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. 
it, you could have the best deal in the whole world. If they're not familiar with the space that you're in, if they're not familiar with who you are as a person, the answer, you could have like 50% returns and they're still going to say no. Right. Because they, they just don't trust you. They don't know you. They don't know that language. They don't know that space. So where I always look for money is people that want to get into multifamily that are in process of education. And what we do is we offer them a position with our company and say, look, if you want to do this, let's have you raise some money here. Here's some ways to do it from your family and friends and people that you know that you've already in your contact sphere. Mm -hmm. And then that way you can raise just a little bit of money, get familiarized with the process and the system and how you're going to do it bring it in and work with us and you can also learn this other side of how these things get taken down and what happens after they get taken down. So that's really what we've kind of gotten into and, and we love that little model. Um, raising OPM is a very, it can be a very difficult thing and the more that you get to know other people, the better off that you will be, honestly. So how does syndication play into this? So syndication, um, if you have two or more people investing in your deal mm -hmm. um, that are not going to take a role, right? So they're not going to have a management job to do. Strictly investors. They're strictly investors. Then you have to create a syndication. You can do 506B, you can do 506C. It just depends on whether you're going after accredited investors or sophisticated investors. Um, you've got to file with the SEC, all the investors that you have to notify the SEC in every state. Um, it's very expensive. Be expecting to spend about 25000 on that. But it's really worth it, especially if you're, doing, if you're going after accredited investors mm -hmm. um, because you can advertise. So you can take your property and I can blast it on Facebook and say, see, I have this property and don't you want to invest in it? And isn't it great? Right. Um, but if it's not for just, it's, if it's not the right... Um, offering, then you can't. So you, you've really got to engage an SEC attorney. If you think you might be doing an, a syndication, yeah. before you even buy the property, before you truly submit an LOI, you need to contact an attorney, an SEC attorney, and make sure that you're going down the right path, make sure the things that you're saying is legal. This is another reason why I highly suggest people get educated in the multifamily space. If I say one wrong thing, I'm going to jail. And there's you know, I could tell you, oh, I have a great deal. Technically, that's illegal. Right. That's promising. And I'm not, gonna, and I, I'm not sitting here saying that I have a great <laughs> deal that you should invest in. I'm yeah. giving an example for educational purposes only. You see my disclaimer here because I will not mess with the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not a group that you really want to violate or mess with. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Fernando, he was asking, OPM is equity partners. So, yeah. It's other people's money, Fernando. And then mm -hmm. Syndication, we're talking about 25K, you know, I've heard ranges between 20K, 12K, or 30K to syndicate. Is that per complex or is it just a one-time deal? Oh, no, that's per deal. That's per complex, per so offering. So every time I do an offering, I got to pay for a new syndication. It's like a new franchise mm -hmm. every single time. Every single time. Well, you're starting a new business mm -hmm. every single time. You're actually, when you, <laughs> the bank hates us. It took us two weeks to get a bank account. Let's just put it that way. We had like nine levels of LLCs. So you have your property LLC, and then under that you have a management and an investor LLC. Mm -hmm. And under that you're selling the, but you're only selling the class shares, the shares from this major, from this main LLC, the property LLC, but everything gets funneled down, right? So the SEC attorneys, they lay out these <laughs> incredibly long operating agreements that clearly define who's getting what, which LLC gets what, LLC gets what, 
who has a role doing what? How are the investors getting paid? What happens if we lose all their money? What happens if we need a capital call? Everything is explicitly laid out in those operating agreements to the T. So it's worth every penny to pay the SEC attorney. It's just very expensive because of what it is and the liability and risk that really goes into it. And I don't want to deter anyone from doing a syndication. Syndications are awesome. It's worth the 25,000 because then I can raise, you know, as much money as I really need and I can sell those shares off right? Um, and I can do it legally. But be prepared. It's very expensive. It's very time consuming. Mm-hmm. You're going to be reading a lot. If you are a person that does not like to read at all, you need to find some a business partner who does because you are going to need to read those documents. Or an attorney that likes to read. No, you, you need to read those documents because you're telling your attorney to do it uh-huh. and then you're cross-checking to make sure that they've done it correctly. Oh, wow. That mm-hmm. sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah, we had we had at one point I think three attorneys on staff. <laughs> a good attorney is worth their weight in gold, though. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about finding deals. So I mean, how do you go about? You've identified you know different multiple markets. How are you finding the properties to where the deals will make sense, right? Because you know was it Big Spring? What's it called? Big Spring. Mm-hmm. Big Spring, right? So <laughs> the guy's no dummy. He knows it's going up, mm-hmm. right? So why is he selling it to you? Or, or, or well, I guess. Let me take a step back. Are you buying at a discounted price or are you buying at retail? It's everything in multifamily is kind of retail. And again, that all depends, right? Mm -hmm. So like out here, we're buying one that is a high six cap. That's retail in my Mm -hmm. opinion, right? And people are buying three, four caps out here all day long. We don't buy those, but um, that's what they do. That to me is retail. As soon as you get into that kind of eight cap, to Mm -hmm. me, you're getting a little bit of a discount um, the reason that they were selling is because they've owned it for, this is how multifamily is. They've owned it for five years. Mm-hmm. It's time to sell. They're moving on. Yeah. Like period. So typical whole time in a multifamily is three to seven years. We make our money. We leave a little bit of meat on the bones for the next guy and we get out and buy another one. So just, it's like getting a new car every year, every, every few years. Yep. Yep. And just rinse and repeat. And, and I think those guys, too, were going more into developing, especially mm-hmm. in that area, because they're located in, in Lubbock, which is an hour away from Big Springs. So they they see the potential for development. We're not there. I, I have an interest in development, but not at this time. So they're, they've been doing it longer, and they're at that step. And so they're selling it off, and they're going to put some money into developing. Okay. And then are you working with apartment brokers, or are you doing mm-hmm. postcards to the landlords? No, I, I like brokers. Um, finding a good broker, again, is worth its weight in gold. In multifamily, you've got to understand that this is a team sport. You are not going to be doing this 100% on your own. Mm-hmm. And why would you? There's so much that goes on. There's so many details and, and so many people involved in the team to take these properties down that I encourage everybody find some really good brokers and let them do their job. Yeah. They do it well. Let them do it. Um, and our broker out here, he's actually out here, but they have a, a group where they have multiple locations. So we have people in almost every state. He's phenomenal and he knows exactly what we're looking for. He knows that we're, we're able to close, um, which is the hardest thing getting to know brokers. They need to know that you are going to close. My business partner has a slight advantage because she's been an appraiser. She calls the brokers and they're willing to talk to her because she's an appraiser. Yeah. If you're not an appraiser, you still need to get them, convince them that yes, you are able to close. So things like calling the broker, my team and I, meaning your sponsor and your coach, have closed over, I know in my team, they've closed, I think over like $20 million in the last few years. 
um, in, in real estate. So when you're saying these things to brokers now, they, now you've got their attention because that's yeah. the hardest part of multifamily is, is getting the brokers to pay attention to you. And, but if, as soon as you get that one, you've got to treat them right. You've got to close. Otherwise, they will never, ever, ever talk to you again, right? right. Um, with exception of extenuating circumstances. Um, but yeah, finding the right broker, he throws deals our way all the time, all the time, more than we can even really keep up with. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of broker that you really, really, really want to find. And it negates the need for the postcards for sitting down with the individual sellers. Yes, you can do that, but you're always kind of getting into an emotional state at that point. And remember, this is commercial. We've got to, you've got to take the emotion out of it. Mm-hmm. Single family, you're sitting down with a mom and a, a dad that has bought this house and that's been their lifelong dream. In commercial, you're sitting down with a business person who just wants to make money. Right. So I, I personally, I don't want to sit down with a seller. I'd rather have the broker talk to the broker on a person who's ready and willing to sell. Yeah. That way I don't have to convince them to do something that they maybe do or do not want to do. Right. Uh, Ron, Ron wants to know, when wholesaling an apartment, are you regulated by the FCC or any other entity? Just the same as you would be in the single family. You're technically regulated with that. And it's, it depends on how you've set it up initially when you're going to sell. Um, if you are under a syndication, it is defined in that operating agreement, how you're going to sell it, who's going to sell it, who gets paid what, who has what job. So that's a kind of a difficult question to answer just because it all really depends on when you bought it. Yeah. That's why you always want, when you're underwriting these multifamilies, you want to buy it and sell it in the same breath, right? So you want to look at it from, okay, if I'm buying it like this, what is the five-year projection? How am I going to get rid of this? What is my target to be able to get rid of this thing? How am I going to be able to pay my investors back? Who is going to sell it? Is the property manager going to sell it? Are you going to hire a licensed broker to sell it? So all of those things are thought out and defined at the very beginning in that operating agreement. That's why your attorney costs you 25,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's starting to, starting to make a little more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so then what does your organization look like today? My organization? I mean, you got, your par- you got two partners. Yes. And how many? Technically employees? we have six. So it's, we, we're still in the subcontractor stage of the 1099 stage. So, and because we have so many people, we're really kind of doing what we're best at. Yeah. So my husband and I um, are involved. My business partner and her husband are involved. And then my other business partner and his wife are involved. They are the asset managers. My business partner who is an appraiser is acquisition specialist and I am the syndicator. And then we have our little support teams with us, right? So it's not like, and, and that's pretty typical in multifamily. You don't have a marketing team and all these people trying to do all these things. You know, like I've seen those single family wholesalers, they've got a team of 20 people with uh, bird dogs that go out and do that. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily do that because you have 20 brokers that are working for you. Yeah. So the team is structured differently. They get paid, but they get paid on performance, not on I'm paying you every month to put out this or that or whatever. Um, you can get underwriting specialists. It depends on how bu- busy you are. You can get just you know a college kid that come in and just simply do the underwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get marketing people in. Just to be quite frank, we're just not at that level yet, honestly. Right. Um, eventually, we probably will add a few more, but it's never going to be a large corporation. It just you continue won't. at this pace. Yeah, if I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. our goal next year is to put five more. So yeah, yeah. we want five thousand units um, in five years. Cool. That's our goal. Wow. Uh, okay, and then we were talking about 
all these other places you're in. So you're not really excluding the markets as long as they hit the Holy Trinity. There's some markets that we do exclude based on insurance prices and uh, also zoning. So like Houston, Houston doesn't really have a ton of zoning laws. So you can have a D next to an A or industrial next to residential. They don't, you know, it's kind of wild west out there. Um, because I'm, we're not familiar with exactly which streets are good. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really invest in Houston. New Orleans can, is pretty much similar. And if you notice, these are also places that have high hurricanes and floods. And so, you know, Florida, we tend to stay away from. And um, California, I don't like it when the earth shakes. So really, (laughs) what's wrong with that? So we tend to stay away from that. And and you also have to watch like the politics, right? Mm -hmm. So California politics are not always investor friendly, especially for the multifamily space. No, they're very tenant friendly. Yeah, they're very, very tenant friendly. So we try to not invest in places that are, you know, like that. Not that we're doing anything wrong. We just don't want to fight the six month eviction. Right, right, right. To get the person out of our property who's literally destroying it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just not worth it. It's not going to protect my investors money. No, it's not. Right. So what kind of overhead do you guys have in this industry? Um, well, and again, that's really kind of per property. The The nice thing about what we do is it is actually a very, very low overhead for our business, high overhead for the property. Which makes sense. Right, right. So our marketing costs are currently under 2000 um, And because we're all assigned a job, we don't have any payroll really except for us, but we're all yeah. owners. So. So our overhead is really not that high. I anticipate even at the height, we'll probably be under 20,000 a month and in, in overhead um, when we're completely where we wanna be. Yeah. Just simply because you don't have, we don't have to have an office. We don't have to, we can work for a, a home. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have all these personnel and support personnel and people processing this and that. Um, I'd say the biggest expense is legal and uh, CPA. And I'm happy to pay them. Yeah, no, you don't want to be doing that stuff. Nope. (laughs) And they, like the CPAs, pay for themselves. So I'll hire the most expensive CPA because he'll pay for himself 10 times over. The attorneys, they're paying for themselves too because you do not want to stand in court and have to explain why, oops, I messed up on one wording. (laughs) My bad, Your Honor. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. So those people are really good to pay. Yeah. But um, again, they pay for themselves. So not, not a ton of overhead, no. Are there any CR, I mean, uh, I guess CRM probably isn't there. Are, are there any tools or systems you could not live without doing the business you're in? <laughs> well, okay, so live without, well, if I had to, I could break it down on paper, but that's, the, that's what I mean by just do it. Don't, I, I hate to answer this question because there's really good systems out there, yes, mm-hmm. but cannot live without, no. If it came down to it, I can do this on, piece of paper and pen if I absolutely had to. And so should you. Don't get held back because you don't have the system or you can't afford this particular program or whatever. People have been doing this for centuries on paper and pen. It's perfectly fine, right? Um, But that being said, some CRMs or some uh, systems that I really do enjoy, Trello, Mm T-R-E-L-L-O, is phenomenal for project management. Um, Active Campaign is phenomenal for uh, cash raising for to just monitor who's bringing in what and who has an interest um constant contact to mailchimp love them yeah. can't help it love them 
Um, and then a lot of times we'll use, I do actually use sometimes Insightly, which is a free CRM for my database, but I've kind of gone away from that once I got into active campaign. One thing I do want to suggest to people that I tell everybody, I come from a digital marketing background. I worked with Google. I had a digital marketing company at one point. Um, and one tool that I love, and it's only like 50 bucks a month, it's the best. It's called Meet Edgar. It's a social media tool. So you can go in and create all your content and mm. it'll randomly pick from which content you can kind of assign it. You know, I want a picture here or I want a, um, uh, like a blog here and at this time and day. But it, it kind of takes away from having to go in every single week and set up every single post. It yeah. makes life so much easier. So if I could say one single one would be Meet Edgar. I love it. Okay, awesome. I haven't heard of that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, most people haven't. It was one of those random things I found on Facebook and mm -hmm. fell in love with and will never get rid of. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you do if the market took a dip? <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> Celebrate? <laughs> I'm waiting for the market to take a dip, and let me explain why. This is great. Okay, so single-family space, the value of a single-family home is based on the comparables around it, what everything around it has sold, right? Mm -hmm. The value of a multifamily property is based on the income that it produces. So when, and I hate to be this person, but when everybody's kind of losing their houses in the single family space, they still have to live somewhere. Mm -hmm. So they all flood to apartments, which drives up my NOI, which drives up my price. So I can't wait for the market to go down. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's good news, We're popping bottles. <laughs> I know, I hate to say that as people are like losing their jaws, but let's face it, we're all investors here, right? That's the, we're, you buy when there's blood in the streets. Yes. We're, yep, yes. Yep. Buy when there's blood in the streets. I mean, that's a great, famous. I know, slogan. I hate it, but it's it's a very real thing. That's it's how true. you get a discount, that's how you get good deals and make more yeah. money. So, what is your why? The instant thing that comes to my mind is my family. Mm -hmm. um, I recently got married, I just got married in October. And my husband and I have a, a dream. We call it our empire. And I know that sounds really kind of, you know, whatever. But um, we want to create long-term sustainability for people in the sense of I want to teach people, you know, finances because our country's divorce rate is astronomically high. They teach you how to make a doily, but they don't teach you how to balance a checkbook. Like, yeah. And then we wonder why half our people are getting divorced, you know? Mm -hmm. So my why is, is my dream that I have with my husband of this empire of education and, and really affecting people's lives. Um, the other thing that I, I think of and that my vision is, I, and I think I shared this with you, I'm after the 40,000. Mm -hmm. And most people look at me and say, what do you mean 40,000? I'm one of those weird people I want to stand up on stage and talk to 40,000 people, not because I think I'm so special that they need to hear what I have to say, but because I want to impact them to take action in their lives that make a significant difference to their family and their lives. Right. I want to be able to say that one thing that makes all of their dreams come true, that where they're able to run with it and make their own dreams come true. Yeah. So I guess my why is serving others and building an empire. That's awesome. And I think there's a lot of commonalities, right? I mean, the action taker, and then the, the wanting to give back and wanting to help yeah. and lift those around us. I think there's a common theme between a lot of the other people that have been on the show as well. So it's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> what, is, what is your biggest struggle right now besides emails? Um, uh, keeping up with my business partner, who I love very dearly, <laughs> yeah. besides emails. Um, 
she's getting more more properties under contract than I can meet people enough for to, to find money. So I'm always looking for investors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they always say the multifamily always looking for investors and we're always looking for properties. Well, she's she's got the properties. I am always looking for investors, people that um, want to get into multifamily space, but are maybe a little hesitant, want to group on with people and learn or just simple, simply get a mailbox money. I'm open to it all. Um, my business partner and I love to teach and we love to help others. So even with the people that want to buy their own, well, let's see what you can do as far as helping raise some money yeah. and get involved and we can teach you. And then I am also after the people who have money sitting in their IRAs going, okay, well, I'm making okay money, but I'm watching this market go down. What am I going to do? How am I going to get better returns? We're looking for 16 to 20% annualized returns, which is far better than the stock yeah. market or banks are ever going to be able to produce. So those specific types of people is my biggest struggle finding right now. Just keeping so up with her. So <laughs> let's describe, you know, the perfect or ideal candidate you know, for you, mm-hmm. what would that what, what would that person's financial situation be? Or sure. So my ideal client is just like the um, twenty other people that really invested into our last deal. They're in their forties, fifties, sixties, um, either close to retirement or right at retirement. They've worked at, at companies all their life, so they've built up a really good four hundred one k. They're watching the stock market go down and afraid of what's going to happen, um, especially the people that lost a bunch of money in 2008 in the stocks and are now looking at this going, I don't want to repeat that because if I do, I'm not going to be able to retire. I'm going to have to work at Walmart as a greeter for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I can offer those people a way to have quarterly income coming in and big fat checks when we go to sell it with returns, like I said, between 16 and 20%. I especially love the people who who turn over the money, they want their monthly reports, they want to know what's going on, but they don't want to be actively involved. Mm-hmm. I love the passive investors, they're the easiest ones to work with, especially when they have IRAs. If somebody has an IRA and their IRAs tell them, you oh, know, I can't do this or I can't do that, we can help them turn it into a self-directed IRA where they maintain all of their control. And then they it's a way to create tax-free wealth. Right. Um, which nothing's ever really tax-free. It's all tax-deferred. Tax deferred. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But let's call it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are the people that I'm really looking for. Yeah. Okay, cool. And what is your superpower? Um, I have no fear. <laughs> yeah. When we came in here, um, the gentleman assisting you asked me, you know, are you nervous being on a podcast? No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not nervous standing up and talking in front of other people. I'm I'm that person that I have no problem just getting up and talking and and being bold and and trying new things and sometimes it's, it's hindered me in my life and caused extremely detrimental effects. But um, that was all in my 20s. We don't talk about that. In my 30s, I learned how to hone in that and actually make an impact for the world. So that is my my superpowers. I just really don't have a lot of fear in things. I just do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a natural consequence of you know some bad things are going to happen, mm-hmm. but a lot of good things are going to happen too. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Uh, what is the greatest lesson you've learned? In this or in life? In life. Oh, you know what? It actually correlates for both. You are not, no man is an island. Surround yourself with incredible teams and you can do anything in the world you ever desire. Honestly, that's, you know, I, like I told you, when we were closing this property, <laughs> um, we were in Boston for 
a training and vacation. The last day, my then fiance tells me I have to go to the hospital. He was in there for 10 days. We got back two weeks to the day before we got married. The next week was my bachelorette party. Two days later, we launched a BNI chapter. Three days after that, we got married. And two weeks after that, we closed the property. Yeah. So how the heck did I do all of that? I didn't. My team did. Yeah. My mom is helping me. My wonderful mother, who I love dearly, is helping me with the wedding. My business partners are helping me with the property going, okay, it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and I had a great team with, with the BNI that picked up the slack. So all I had to do was the very specific things that only I can do in, in reality. That is how you should be acting every single day, every single step in your life in order to get the most amount you want done. I heard someone say, you know, you can do anything in this world if you get other people to do it. And it is very, very true. I haven't heard that one before. I'm not good at certain things. Um, I, I like analyzing numbers, but to have me sit down and underwrite, it's the most frustrating thing in the world for yeah. me. But my business partner, that's the one thing she is really good at. Hates talking to people. Guess what I do? <laughs> Or so, you're a salesperson. Right, right. So know what you're really good at, hire the rest, empower your team, and you can go far in life. You can go anywhere you want. Yeah, I almost want to work for you. <laughs> so I, I Come think, on over, Steve. You're welcome. <laughs> so th there's a lot of truth to that, though, right? Like, you know, because um, there's a lot of things I'm that great at. Mm -hmm. and But I've got incredible people behind me that yep. make things happen. Because if you're, if you're waiting for me to get done, I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a small joke. I don't know. But... <laughs> If you want something to get done, don't give it to Steve. <laughs> You're the thinker then. We've got one of those too. We've the got visionary. a big, yeah. big thinker and he has great ideas. Um, and I love his wife because she's the doer. Yeah. Yep. And that's kind of how that goes. Yep. So what is your, well, actually one more thing on that was that I really like that you combine three of the most stressful things you can have happen <laughs> yeah. in two weeks. <laughs> it's impressive. Oh, did I mention that our flight was delayed? They lost the baggage. <laughs> I that's, mean, it was just like. That's not as stressful as getting married, though. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, by the time I got married, I was like, I was fine because, <laughs> well, especially because when he was in the hospital, I really realized what's important, right? Yeah. What is really, truly important in life and what is important in our marriage. And I had, you know, I didn't turn into Bridezilla. At least that's what they tell me. Um, <laughs> I but, can see it. Yeah, hopefully not. But, um, you know, I was worried about everything being perfect and the flowers and the decorations and what about this and him going in the hospital really, really hit home. And like I told him at the end of the day, it's you and me and it's what we say to each other. Mm -hmm. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if I lose everything tomorrow, I have him, I have my family. And that's all that matters. The rest of it is, to me, is just fun stuff you get to do in your life. I got to buy a multifamily apartment complex right. in my life. That was pretty cool. I started a business where we bought multiple multifamily complexes. I got to make an impact for the world, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I got to go home and be with my family and make an impact in my small little world and be, matter really, really a lot to these very few people. And it's huge, you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and knowing what's important. That's... Mm -hmm. That's what's that's what's important. Yeah. So, what's your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? My business partner is going to hate this, but um, <laughs> I'm going to tell a story. I was homeless. Yeah. I was. Yep. 19 years old. Spent a summer homeless. Um, it was from taking a job I thought was going to be great, and it wasn't great, and I failed miserably to the point where I was literally on the streets asking for money. Yeah. But I tell you, in your f greatest failures become your most valuable training. I can talk to anyone <laughs> yeah. because I had to talk to everyone in order to get money to eat, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I was able to take my greatest failure and my most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me and the thing I look back and go, why? Why did I do that, right? And turn that into a lesson to grow. And so even though it was a failure, I look at it as uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that, that, that I chose that, that I fell, that I fell down and I fell hard because I know exactly what it means to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward. That's why I keep saying, you know, everybody wants to give excuses. Well, I can't do it because of this, and I can't do it because of that. Yes, you can. Get up, get dressed, move forward every single day. Yeah. And just go. And you'll be fine. And that's you'll awesome. Fall. You'll fail. You'll get back up. Do it again. <laughs> but that is so, you know, it's the same point we've heard over and over again on the show is that the things that define you and help you get to the next level is massive failure, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Being homeless, like if you weren't homeless, you wouldn't have that tenacity and courage maybe to speak nope. to every single person. Nope. Right? Wouldn't I wouldn't know what it means to wake up in the morning starving and having to go find a way to eat and going all day until the wee hours because you're just trying to keep your head afloat. You're just trying to eat. Yeah. So the work ethic, the ability to talk to people, the empathy that came from that, you know, I don't judge anybody. Anybody that comes at me with a, a terrible story, you know, I, I respect them more because they're telling me, because they're being vulnerable, because they've come from those challenges. It gives you all those things. Yeah. So take the lesson, you know, look for failure. Don't try to fail, but look for <laughs> look for the greatness in your failures. You're mm -hmm. going to fail. You're going to struggle. You're going to ha make mistakes. You might as well grow from it. If my pur the purpose I think everybody is here for Think of a tree. What is a tree here for? To grow. Mm -hmm. So why would a human be any different? Right. It's awesome. I love it. So I think that's a really good point to uh, place to end. Uh, and so guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. If someone wanted to reach out to you and learn more about this, how would they go about doing that? Best way to get a hold of me is through email. Mm -hmm. um, do you, can I give my email? Yes, please. It's M as in Mary, J as in Jane, dot rise above at gmail.com. So mj.riseabove at gmail.com. Awesome. And don't forget to tune in, guys. On Friday, we got a special guest. we got Jalen White coming in. He's going to talk about how he, before he graduated high school, was already wholesaling, and he's only 21 today. And he's crushing it with a big team in wholesaling. So don't forget to check that out. Friday, 2 o'clock. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank this you, was Steve. awesome. Thank you.